Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. Um, you are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, in the studio today, we have me, um, Jacob, and our other person, Dennis, is um, going to be a bit delayed. So we might just be on a bit of a slow start for the program. Um, before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge um, the traditional lands by which this radio station is broadcast um, to you on the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land, and I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. Um, I guess in terms of recent news stories, um, last week we, um, we discussed, um, that the Yarra, the city of Yarra Council has, um, voted to abolish, um, Australian Day ceremonies or Australian Day celebrations. Um, typically, local councils um, hold citizenship um, ceremonies on the 26th of January, um, and then they also tend to hold, you know, host um, celebrations of Australia of Australia Day um, in consultation with the Indigenous community, clearly because you know January 26th marks like a day of you know genocide, of invasion, of dispossession of Indigenous people. Um, you know, the Yarra Council voted um, overwhelmingly, you know, to abolish um, Australia Day celebrations and in- instead on that date of the 26th of January, host a more culturally kind of inclusive event that, you know, be a kind of like a day of mourning for Indigenous people. Um, but um, just this week on Tuesday, um, the neighbouring uh, the neighbouring council of the city of Darabin, um, which covers the Northcote, Vesera, or up to Bondura, um, also voted um, to abolish Australia Day celebrations on January twenty sixth. Um, and also, one of the more interesting things about the council decision is it also, you know, kind of put forward quite a strongly worded acknowledgement of, you know, that, you know, that of, you know, the dispossession, the invasion that January 26th presents and generally, you know, our colonialist kind of relate, the colonialist kind of relationship that the Australia state has with Aboriginal land. So there was a very kind of strong acknowledgement there. Um, But what's typical... Um, is the Australian government's response. Um, so the Australian government has, you know, responded with a bit of a backlash to what these councils are doing, um, probably because, you know, it's, it kind of attacks this kind of brushing and drumming up of nationalism that, you know, the government uh, attempts to, you know, 
attempts to push, you know, every kind of Australia Day whenever January 26 rolls around. Um, so look, the federal government, Malcolm Turnbull, you know, has called this decision divisive. You know, it should be a day that unites Australians um, and has even gone as far, the federal government has even gone as far to strip councils, um, the councils that have voted for this, um, to be able to hold any, um, to be able to hold citizenship ceremonies. Um, But at this point, none of the councils are bowing to pressure. In fact, it looks like more the opposite effect is happening. Um, It's more, it looks like this has set off a bit of a a domino effect, so you will. Um, There's already reports of other councils, um, including um, a council whose name I forgot, but kind of borders north of Darabin, is also considering making this decision um, at the next council meeting to abolish um, Australia Day celebrations. Um, And I think, you know, one thing too important um, that's clearly noted is one of the more interesting, one of the things is this comes as a result of, you know, sustained pressure from, you know, Indigenous activists um, and also the mass mobilisations that occur on January 26. In fact, the Melbourne rally, for example, that happened this year, attracted over twenty to 30,000 people. And of course, that was the case with um, a lot of cities, although not as big as Melbourne. Though it just demonstrates, you know, the importance of, you know, challenging this kind of nationalist kind of myth about Australia Day, this idea of Australia Day be this day in inclusivity. Um, in fact, um, in the case of the United States, I think I mentioned the program, um, the equivalent day would be Columbus Day. And increasingly, more and more states in the United States are refraining from celebrating Chris Columbus Day because, you know, why... The, the the insult it is to the Native Americans of celebrating the day of cele- of na- ha- having a public holiday named after a genocidal murderer who murdered your uh, you know half you know committed genocide to your people is a bit of an insult uh, and it's the same thing with in with Invasion Day January twenty sixth. The fact that they you know that these um, the local councils are you know I applaud the local councils for making these decisions because I think it is increasingly part of putting the pressure on the government and maybe we could, can you know get to a point you know where um, where you know this whole thing about celebrating you know you know January twenty sixth is a is a thing of the past twenty fourth I think yeah what um, is a thing of the past and you know we'll move on and and then possibly lay, of course, even if we were to abolish um, Australia Day celebrations altogether across the country, it still wouldn't be enough to, you know, to solve, you know, the issues of um, of Indigenous, you know, we need things, we need to, um, for, from that, we would need to push for, you know, land rights, end to deaths and custodies, end to um, dispossession and genocide of Indigenous people that occurs on a daily basis. Uh, anyway, that's... Uh, I'll, play a quick um, song um, because our other guest is um, Dennis is at the door now and I need to be opening the door. Um, so in um, in the studio we now have Dennis. Um, probably many listeners will probably know that Dennis used to be kind of like a regular on this show um, until he went out, you know, went overseas for quite a while. In fact, you actually will be going back overseas because I'm not sure. When are you leaving, Dennis? I will actually be. I'll be going back to Europe in early September, September the sixth, to be more precise. So this potentially might be his second last or last program before he goes back to Europe. 
once again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, before we um, have a chat with Dennis about well, later on in the program, just to um, note down, we're going to be doing a bit of an interview with him um, because Dennis has spent quite a bit of time in Spain. Um, so he has a lot of experiences and knowledge to share uh, around politics and what's happening in Spain. Um, but actually, I think one interest, um, one thing we probably need to talk about in terms of headline news is the marriage equality campaign. Certainly. <clears throat> um, so basically, probably listeners know, the government has decided to go with a non-binding plebiscite. Um, and for the campaign, there's actually basically been this huge push to get um, you know, young people especially, I think because the statistics say there's over 200,000 or, well, they, if I can't get the numbers correctly, there's just a significant amount of people, young people who aren't enrolled to vote. So basically, um, unfortunately, if you haven't enrolled to vote, the deadline um, the deadline has just passed. It finished at 12 a.m. on the Thursday, but I'm sure lots of free CR programs that you're probably listening to before this program will remind you um, about the need to enroll um, to enroll before 12 a.m. on a Thursday. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully that you have all enrolled. Um, so basically the where the campaign was at was um, basically doing this big push, especially on campuses, um, to get people to enroll to vote. And there, you know, this people who have been campaigning actually found that there was actually a number of people who, you know, didn't uh, enroll. And um, I did a bit of a political campaigning store in Footscray um, yesterday. And um, what was interesting was there was a number of, you know, underage high schoolers who were saying, yep, I'm enrolling to vote. Um, although it is at this point unclear whether under 18s will be able to vote. Um, but there is, you know, there's potential possibility that it could happen because there is a bit of a, a high court challenge um, about you know, allowing under 18s to vote. Um, so now we're kind of getting into the next stage of the campaign now that the enrolment process is over. There is, I'm not completely sure when the letters are going to be sent. Um, it's likely, good, I'm pretty sure the timeline is it's going to sometime at the start of October. People are going to be receiving their postal ballots um, on, and I'm, I'm basically, we're encouraging, you know, as, pro, as a program and on FreeCR that supports marriage equality, um, we're encouraging, you know, everyone to vote yes. Um, and you know we're, we're pushing for like a bit for, for this campaign to have an overwhelmingly yes vote because um, Dennis, as you mentioned before, um, while we're chatting, um, while the song was playing, um, we're in a complex situation. Uh, the the basic the plebiscite is non-binding. Exactly, exactly. So basically, um, <clears throat> well, it's an it's it's. I think it's kind of been described as being. Uh, unfairly non-binding in case that the yes wins, but binding in case if the no wins. Mm. So, so, so it's um, mm, it really is um, uh, uh, one of those one of those particular sort of elec- uh, uh, elections which which are which have all, which you feel like always almost been always almost feels like they were made in 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 order to f- to fail by the by the sitting government. Mm. That's, that's, that's that's certainly what it feels like to me. Yeah, well, I think um, the bigger political context is is this is essentially a way for the Liberal Party to appear appease to the more cons- the well the far right kind of conservative elements in their party mm. who do not want marriage equality. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull. Let, let's just get started, with Malcolm Turnbull. He basically says, "Yes, I am going to vote yes," along with my wife. 
Um, but then, of course, when in response to the hate speech um, that has come from the No campaigners, in fact, there are these very offensive kind of posters being put yes. around Melbourne right now. Uh, I mean, this... I don't even want to describe actually what's on these posters because it's very... It's absolutely disgusting. disgusting. And... Malcolm Turnbull's response is... Well, this is part of the debate. Yep, this no. is part of the democratic debate. Um, yeah. he, well, this is, yeah, I mean, there, well, there aren't actually any actual debating points in those posters. It's just, yep. uh, just sort of a... He's basically... He's practically actually giving a platform and uh, space for far-right and, in some case, neo-Nazi groups in order to sort of vent their hate and rage towards... Uh, at the LGBTI community. Because mm. they, they, they have also been... Um, um, uh, posters uh, that have been that have been put up by uh, other 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 far right groups, sort of, uh, you know, def- you know, defending a traditional uh, family and you know, de- you know, defending uh, defending life and all that, you know, all the usual sort of homophobic uh, slogans and whatnot. Yeah, also also put up around around uh, in certain areas uh, around Melbourne. Mm. So, yeah, and I think. Um, the fact that this hate speech is getting put out really puts um, the importance of actually, you know, mobilising mm-hmm. people around the yes vote, especially campaigning on the streets, you know, putting out the putting the word out there, making the, the case, you know, we shouldn't even have to make the case because it's quite self-evident that, you know, you know pe- equal marriage should be a thing. It should, it should be a, a given right. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it that one, you know, group of people purely based on their sexual orientation be denied... Rights that everyone else has, mm. um, and so there's going to be. Um, it's going to be. I think one of the things, the fact that this, even if it, um, yes, wins overwhelmingly, that it won't be binding, kind of brings the importance of mobilisation. Um, there's going to be a mobilisation this Saturday. That's right. Um, Saturday, I believe it was. What was it? Wasn't it Saturday? Yeah, this Saturday. That's yeah. what I said. This Saturday at one pm at the State Library, there is going to be a marriage equality rally. I think it's going to be important, you know, to get as many people together for that. From you know, from you know, to overwhelmingly put our uh, put the um, um, stand up in support of equal marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the most interesting thing um, following that rally, there is going to be the second phase of the campaign is going to be get started, and that's going to be you know basically. Know, trying to campaign for a yes vote, getting people to push uh, because there is, um, while it is quite true that you know there's quite an overwhelmingly number of people who do support um, equal marriage. There's probably a number of people, and this happened. This is with every election vote who are probably sitting on the fence, etc., who might not be that engaged with the campaign to begin with. And we need to be out there, you know, campaign to convince those people to um, um, put yes. Um, and then there's, and then they'll be getting to the third stage of the campaign, which will be to actually get people to send in their ballots. That's that will probably be the most challenging uh, one here. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, what also what we also have to mention, also what we also have to talk talk about, is that even in the case of uh, yes uh, winning in this uh, plebiscite, and in the case of the implementation of uh, equal marriage rights in Australia, we of course need to, need to acknowledge that this by no means uh, you know uh, and uh, ends the issue of homophobia in Australia in the Australian society, um, but rather I think this could actually be an opportunity. This sort of this um, this ongoing this ongoing campaign for marriage uh, for marriage equality rights and um, uh, the the campaign the campaign uh, before the actual. Uh, 
before the actual ballots, and this could actually, I believe this could actually be an opportunity for uh, uh, for us, and particularly for the trade unions, trade unions and trade, trade unionists to uh, engage in a, Engage in a conversation about uh, about their members, about the importance of um, of saying that you know, voting for 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 equal marriage is would be po- would be a positive step to helping eliminate homophobia in the mm. in the in the workplace. You know, I, I, I believe we could um, we could even sort of advance it uh, from there. So once the uh, marriage once marriage equality is achieved, then it will be. Uh, uh, the campaign should then uh, switch towards the elimination of hom- uh, of homophobia mm. in all walks uh, yeah. uh, of life. Perhaps yeah. the best one to start with would be would be the the place where we where we tend to spend the vast majority of our time. Yeah, in the workplace. I think um, Dennis makes a good point there, and um, one of the good things is you, pretty much all the major unions. Mm. I think every union except for the SDA has actually <laughs> pledged support, kind of in support of marriage equality. Um, there's Correct. been especially strong statements from the CFMEU, CFMEU, NUW, um, ETU. Yep. I believe it was. So. Um, ETU made a very strong statement. Um, and also, United. I've been seeing a lot of stuff from my my own union, which is United Voice. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been great to see. And there's also credit um, given to the Shrades Hall because the Shrades Hall mm. is actually really taken on this campaign. Yes, certainly. They're providing all the resources, you know, for people to, you know, organise their own stalls uh, and, you know, to get out there campaigning for different groups to take it on, including political parties like the Greens, you know, the ALP, Socialist Alliance are able to, you know, play their role in, you know, putting out um, the case for the yes vote. Now, um, I actually just want to make one quick point because, you know, Dennis is completely correct that, you know, if we were to win marriage equality, it wouldn't completely eliminate homophobia. And you actually have to look at the case of the United States mm. as actually a really good example of, um, um, because, you know, people might forget, but the United States actually has marriage equality. That's right. Um, well, it was, it sort of, they have the sort of the federal and state system, and federal one was implemented a couple, a couple of years back, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but what's, you know, what's, and then, but you still see the Republican Party, you know, put out, you know, absolutely, you know, at, you know, putting out homophobia, um, transphobia is probably the big boogeyman um, mm. in uh, right wing politics. Um, Certainly. Especially with Donald Trump's kind of recent statements, you know, that trans people shouldn't serve in. Um, the military, you know, leading leading aside or criticism of the military aside. No, what? No, no, no. Sorry, j- j- just uh, stop you there for a sec, um, Jacob. Now, now, could this, you uh, know, could this sort of, you know, his hatred towards the trans uh, transgender um, individuals in the army and in the armed forces? Do you think it could be? It could actually be linked to the bravery of Chelsea Manning, by any chance? Yes, potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that. Maybe maybe that's. Maybe maybe this is this is kind of what prompted to Trump to really mm. uh, come out. So excuse the pun. Excuse the pun uh, against uh, transgender individuals in the army. Yeah. Uh, well, on Chelsea Manning's case, there's actually also this you know case of inhumane treatment of mm. you know queers. Um, in the prisons, which is another kind of, especially a big issue in the United States where, you know, you have this whole industrial prison complex. Mm. So I think, yeah, looking at the United States is uh, an excellent example of why even when we win this 
campaign for equal marriage in Australia, it still won't be enough to completely, you know, clear what clear homophobia. And, you know, there's going to be lots of other different campaigns popping up, um, especially, I think, in, in other states outside Victoria, there's still the growing Safe Schools campaign mm. so, um, because Safe Schools um, has essentially been cut um, under mo- most of the governments, apart from Victoria, where the, right. because of the state intervention of the state government. Um, so there's there's all these kind of issues kind of like popping up. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, the equal marriage campaign has been going on for 10 years. And I think the fact that we've pushed the government, you know, to even resort to, you know, as problematic it is a non-binding plebiscite means we're, you know, we're on, we're on, we're in the lead and we just have to mm. keep pushing ahead and then we'll, the government will concede to the mass movement. <laughs> well, let's see. Well, I believe that has been the only way that uh, any pro- any real proper social and political change has been brought in yes. uh, any uh, in any country. Just ma- just mass mobilizations and mass mass movements by the popular uh, classes yeah. pushing their demands. All right, so we'll just um, go and play a quick announcement. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Patman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali, and Plumwood. So tune in to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. On Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy. Alright, um, we are back on Greenleft Weekly Radio with Jacob and Dennis um, in the studio today. Um, so, Dennis, maybe just a bit of chit-chat before we get on to kind of the formal proceedings, yep. um, because we're going to talk to um, Dennis about, you know, politics in Spain. Um, but first, Dennis, I'd like to know, you know, while you've been away, um, what countries did you visit again? Uh, well, um, sort of uh, before I... Uh, uh, finally settled in in Bas- uh, in Barcelona. I got a chance to uh, uh, travel and uh, catch up with my with, with with some of my comrades in Ireland and the UK. Uh, in particular, well, in Ireland, I got a chance to meet with uh, some comrades from the Mandate Union, which is uh, I, I, I guess Ireland's version of the uh, of the United Voice, uh, United Voice or NUW, sort yeah. of. Because if you might say that, a very interesting union actually, because they're the union of um, basically of retail workers, but but quite, quite a militant one, sort of mm. with, the, with traditions going back to the eighties and seventies when they actively participated in the boycotts 
of South Africa during mm. the anti-apartheid uh, movement. Mm. So yeah, some excellent comrades there. They themselves they they themselves have actually been really heavily involved in the marriage equality campaign in Ireland. Sort mm. of when they, when Ireland had their own referendum a couple of years back. Yeah, and in the in the UK, I got a chance to uh, sort of rec- reconnect with some of the str- struggles around Corbynism mm. around sort of September uh, last year. Um, just and during that time, sort of witnessed the way that the leadership election was label leadership election was conducted, and how was uh, how did Corbyn supporters mobilize and uh, um, mobilize uh, for it in in defense of yeah. the leader? Did you get to meet um, Jeremy Corbyn? Well, to be honest, Jacob, I I, I met him back in uh, late 2014. At the Latin America Solidarity oh, so Conference, you met him. <laughs> I, met, I met I met him before well, before he became the leader of the, La- the leader uh, leader of the Labour yeah. Party. Uh, back but, then, did you ever think that he would that he would be in this position that he is now? You know, you know when I met him, when I met him, uh, we had a, we had a short chat, and um, basically what I to- uh, basically what I told him is that is that he he urgently needs uh, uh, to come and speak to the Australian Labour Party here and give them a few lessons of what it's like to work. Uh, Give them a few lessons in uh, being a proper uh, labor le- a la- labor politician and a proper you know work- a proper MP that represents represents the interests of the working class. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think they've learned anything at this point. I mean, in oh. the in terms of the rise of Corbynism, you know, actually, interesting enough, the right wing press has tried to. Make out that Bill Short yes. is some kind of socialist. Mathi- Mathi- I think it was Matthias Gorman who uh, who was kind of scraping the bottom of the ba- bottom yeah. of the barrel. Uh, it's one of those things that you wish was true, but it's oh. not. If it was true, I mean, if if this was actually true, I think I think Shorten would probably be writing some like sixty percent in uh, on the two party preferred basis in the polls. Yeah, a genuine, you know, like a genuine alternative to. Uh, uh, to the Liberal Party is, is is what we desperately need. Yeah, people would be actually be excited to mobilise. And at this point, yes. people are, are just quite ho-hum about... I mean, uh, probably a lot of progressives do prefer the Labour... Well, it is obvious the Labour Party is better than the Liberal, but there's there's nothing <laughs> yes. to mobilise around because they're exactly. beholden to neoliberalism as a Liberal Party. They're just nicer about it, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Um, you got to meet no. John McConnell, didn't you? McDonnell. McDonnell, that's it. John McDonnell, yes, the uh, Shadow Chancellor yep. uh, of, the, of, of the Labour Party. And... Um, it was interesting because the forum he was giving in London, in London, uh, where I was there, it's um, it was it was mainly in support of uh, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, re-election mm. as la- as Labour leader, but it was also uh, sort of the sort of reaffirming the kind of economic policies that they wanted to achieve. So, renationalization uh, of the railways, um, you know, uh, re- uh, renationalization of the parts of the air, of the National Health Service that were previously mm. privatized, the establishment of the Public Investment uh, Bank. Um, you know, sort of mass uh, mass uh, build up of uh, public of public housing. You know, um, uh, sort of elimination of uh, the student tuition fees. All of this was already talked about mm. sort of long before the Labour Manifesto was uh, was written for mm. this uh, for this year's election. So uh, we, we could actually we, sort of, we we could already kind of already got a taste of what it would be like. Um, uh, sort of, sort of what uh, what the future Labour government would actually look like with John with yeah, with, with Cohen or McDonald at the helm, sort of mm. a proper a proper socialist working class led, mm. uh, well, 
the elected government. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we uh, had a, we had a bit of um we had actually a bit of eyewitness support from Nathan Roberts yes, from the UK last yes. week um talking all about the you know the Gordon Fire. But it's but it's pretty interesting kind of hearing your perspective as someone who's sort of like a fellow traveller. <laughs> Um, so yeah, following on from the UK, what else places did you visit? Well, obviously, uh, well, I stayed in Barcelona for for quite a while. So yep. my focus, so I mostly focused on uh, researching and um, finding out about politics uh, within the Spanish state. Yep. Um, uh, long, alongside our uh, the other Green Left Weekly correspondent in Europe, uh, uh, Dick Nichols. Mm. Yes. So I uh, yeah. te- temporarily became temporarily became the second European correspondent there. Oh, yeah. I focused mainly, uh, but mo- mainly I focused on the politics of the left uh, in Spain. Mm. So this involved uh, sort of research- researching and finding out and attending events of uh, uh, Podemos, mm. uh, sort of the left-wing anti- anti-austerity uh, party there, headed by uh, Pablo Iglesias. I also uh, had a few chances of traveling to the Basque country and uh, familiarizing myself with the Basque independence movement. Mm. At one point, I I got a chance to, and actually a great honor to meet with Arnaldo Otegi, who mm. was um, a very prominent independence, uh, pro-independence uh, leader and a um, former political prisoner of the uh, Spanish state. Uh, sort of, one, one, one could describe him as the Jerry Adams of the Basque country. Mm. And for those who don't know, Jerry Adams is the leader of Sinn Féin, the Irish, Irish Republican Party in uh, in Ireland, and in Catalonia, in, in Catalonia, I believe that's probably been one of the biggest highlights. Is, is and the political developments which I noticed has certainly been the growing pro uh, pro independence movement mm. and just the sheer diversity of the different movements that have been mm. involved in it, and just how much of a headache this has caused for the uh, Spanish central government in Madrid. All right, Dennis. Um. Okay, so now we've got a, sum, a sort of short summary of your travels. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to talking in greater detail about actually what's happening in politics in Spain. Certainly. All right. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page, a 3CR supporter. All right, um, so now going back um, to Dennis now, um, we're going to go have a bit of a discussion or a bit of an interview. It's probably our first kind of formal interview um, in the program um, because, as Dennis said, he spent quite a lot of time in Barcelona and served as a Green Left Weekly correspondent um, for European politics. Um, he has a, probably a lot of experiences and knowledge knowledge to share about actually what's happening in Spanish politics right now, especially mm. in regards to the growing kind of left-wing movements. Mm. Um, so, Dennis, why don't we start with you know, giving a bit of... You know, telling us what's actually happening in Spain right now politically. All right. Well, I'll start. I'll start with giving a bit of summary of um, the main the main sort of political developments overall in Spain in the last year that I well in the nine months that I uh, got a chance to um, to actually to, to actually be there. Um, 
I wanted first to start off with uh, the political developments on the left with regards to the uh, uh, with, with regards to Podemos, so the most the mo- probably the most prominent uh, player in left wing anti austerity politics uh, in Spain. Um, uh, as probably some listeners would know, for those uh, uh, who don't, Podemos uh, was the so was a left wing political party that kind of re- emerged out of the mass uh, protests against austerity and. Uh, uh, cut and c- cuts to public sp- public spending and just a, a massive rise uh, in in poverty caused by the economic and financial crisis uh, back in 2011 2012 so their main so the main, what really prompted their rise was the uh, uh was the infamous uh, indignados uh, movement of occupation of public uh, spaces in demand and demands for um, for the easing of uh, austerity and for the implementation and and, and just sort of, uh, sort of this um, this massive outburst of anger against uh, uh, sort of the ravages of neoliberalism and privatization, what they have brought uh, to uh, to Spain. Uh, but this year, um, I, would, I would say that the last uh, year or so has probably been one of the most uh, challenging ones for the uh, for the Podemos uh, party itself, as. Um, uh, in June, in June of in June of 2016, there was a repeat of the general elections, and even though uh, Podemos uh, was able to form this sort of new left-wing coalition together with uh, United Left and the uh, Spanish equivalent of the Greens Party and a few sort of smaller uh, left-wing parties, it wasn't able to achieve the results it desired and still remained in the third place. Um, so this has prompted a number of crises within the uh, within the uh, within the party, and the, ch- the the two most important ones have probably been characterized by uh, the two key leaders within Podemos, uh, Pablo Iglesias, the general the general secretary, and um, who who has consistently favored a, an approach towards uh, you know social you know towards building uh, social movements, street mobilizations, and um, and basically trying to. Reigniting the social uh, the, the the struggles in the streets uh, yeah, as as the best way as the best way of uh, uh, building the political momentum in order to um, eventually eventually take polit- take political power in in Spain and and the rule of the of the right wing uh, neo Francoist uh, People's Party and the second uh, sort of main strand within the Podemos movement has been represented by. Inigo Herrejon, who is the political secretary, uh, was, who, 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 was, who was previously the political secretary of, uh, of Podemos, um, who, who consistently argued that uh, the best way to actually, um, uh, the, best, the best way to uh, uh, ensure that uh, Podemos maintains its hegemony of the, of the left is to capture is to uh, is to steadily uh, capture uh, the different uh, state institutions, whether they be uh, at local level, regional, or, or or federal. And he brings uh, he often brings up the examples of um, uh, of the mayoralities and city councils, which Podemos want together with other sort of left wing uh, uh, groups, such as in Madrid or Barcelona, or uh, the uh, government. The sort of the regional government in Val- in, Val- in Valencia and uh, a, few, a few a few other examples, and um, you know demonstrating 
demonstrating what these, um, you know, what what Podemos is actually capable of doing once it arrives at once it's uh, uh, once it's, it is able to take over the institutions. So, in uh, so to, to summarize, his position has been, you know, uh, people uh, people. People people want, do want to see a left wing uh, endowment, but they want to see a left wing endowment that can, that can actually govern, mm. sort of. So so it's um, uh, some some have characterized it as um, sort of a battle between um, or a dispute within uh, within Podemos between the uh, sort of the the activist grassroots and sort of more you could say more revolutionary approach of Pablo Iglesias and sort of the more moderate. Uh, Reformist and more uh, uh, sort of institutions-based approach of Inigo Rejon. It's yeah. not in, in reality. It's not that clear-cut as does as yeah. you know. As yeah, they both acknowledge, they both acknowledge the importance of both the street mobilizations and of of you know of, impl- of, yeah. of trying to implement anti-austerity and left-wing policies in the within the gar- within the municipalities and regional governments where they where they're currently so, present. So, so, um, to to make a, a bit of a humorous kind of comment. I uh, say, so is this like the Russian Revolution? Is it like the Bolsheviks versus the Mentrix? Is, this, is that the like, been, kind of conflict there? Oh, there's, been, there's, been, there's been, certainly been uh, a lot of these, com- uh, quite a few of these uh, com- uh, comparisons, um, sort of b- b- both sort of in the Spanish media and within uh, uh, Podemos itself. I would say no, because uh, uh, we have to, we still have to remember that um, uh, Podemos is still a very highly heterogeneous. Um, it's a highly heterogeneous, highly, highly. It's a highly diverse um, uh, political uh, organi- organization without any, without a proper clear cut ideology. So it does not define itself as being as being a socialist mm. organization. Does not define itself as being a uh, aligned to any particular strand of Marxism or anything like that. Uh, well, I have what, yeah. going from that. Um, what is kind of like the, the role that? Because I know that. Um, what is the far left party that's sort of part of a demos right now that's sort of been running electorally with them? What is their name with them? Um, are they the French? I mean, the Spanish Communist Party or that's the United Left? United United Left formed an electoral alliance with uh, Podemos for the June of the elections in June uh, 2016, and the Spanish Communist Party formed the biggest part of the left. Uh, sorry, the biggest part of the United Left. Yep. But but it's, it's, this is and this is another very interesting thing because the leader of the United Left, whose name is Alberto Garzón, uh, is actually currently the most popular politician in uh, in Spain. Mm-hmm. So he's a, a 31 year old uh, Marxist economist mm-hmm. who um, uh, has actually um, well about, apart from actually being one of the youngest members of Parliament, he's actually he's also been considered to be one of the most vocal ones uh, mm-hmm. uh, sort of in. In quite in on on sort of on a number of issues, and um, one on sort of on supporting this the emergence of this coalition between Podemos and the United Left, uh, on on um, on the different economic policies policies which the future left wing government should adopt, and also on the international issues. As Alberto Garzón and the United Left have uh, consistently supported the Bolivarian Revolution mm. against the U.S. intervention, they've supported the Cuban Revolution. And so on, and so on, and so forth. So um, the uh, so so within this within this sort of coalition of you know United Left and Podemos, there's yeah there's this massive magnitude of different views and and, and strand uh, uh, strands and and sort of diversity in 
political ideologies, which is mostly kept, which is mostly say, kept together by the common um, objectives of uh, bring, of of bringing together a a left wing government that would end uh, austerity, begin implementing, um, uh, well, begin uh, t- begin to implement uh, pol- policies favorable to the working class uh, of of Spain, of you know of and of beginning to end, uh, and, al- and also very importantly, very importantly, uh, beginning to end the legacy of the um, of the regime of 1978. So, uh, for those who for those who don't know, uh, the regime of 1978 was the sort of the transition, this tra- sort of the, this sort of transitional regime. Um, sorry, the regime of 1978 basically signifies this, what Spain has been like since the death of uh, since the death of Franco. Mm-hmm. So. And and a lot of the institutions of Francoism have still been, remained intact. Uh, so things like the Supreme Court, the army, the police, the, the Secret Service. So, most, so, so the most sort of uh, repressive instruments of the state have re- very much remained intact in Spain. And, this, and this, dismantling them in the future was sort of been a, has been a key part of this, uh, a key sort of pillar of uh, uh, of the left wing. Um, uh, of the of the of, the, of this left wing coalition uh, between mm. yeah left and uh, Podemos. Mm. Um, what uh, some of the very important developments that, uh, that I do have to mention, which have t- taken place uh, more recently. Um, uh, first of all, uh, first, uh, first of all, I mentioned previ- I mentioned previously that uh, uh, this the two main strands within Podemos have been um, two main strands within Podemos have been. Uh, so represented by public decisions and Inigo Rejon, but at the at the beginning of this year, uh, the uh, Podemos held their second national conference in Madrid, uh, which which basically put up a, uh, which the, the whole point of which was uh, basically to uh, decide which exact route Podemos uh, should follow. So this involved the election of the new general secretary, election of the new sort of. Uh, citizens overall citizens council uh, of Podemos, as well as the adoption of different political documents regarding uh, uh, the question or uh, the question of working institutions, social mobilizations, etc., etc., And Pablo Iglesias emerged as the clear winner on all questions and on all uh, points. Mm. So it was so it was decided. So it was decided to follow on with. Um, uh, with the, with the program of Iglesias for the for the foreseeable future, um, another two another two major developments which have taken place in Podemos have been uh, quite recently. Uh, quite recently, uh, the in one of the regions of Spain, uh, Castilla-La Mancha, the uh, Podemos actually agreed to become a formal part of a coalition government together with the Spanish Socialist Workers uh, Party or the, the or the, the PSOE um, as a way of um, uh, well, basically as a way of sort of implementing these sort of parts of their of their program within the government mm-hmm. uh, within the regional uh, uh, government there, um, uh, as well as. Um, as well as, well as, as, well as uh, also we have to uh, also we have to mention that uh, uh, during this whole time there was uh, the, Spani- the Spanish Socialist Workers Party itself uh, went through a massive crisis uh, a, a, sort of a massive uh, internal crisis um, uh, that that, st- that first started with the uh, you know with the with the um, 
uh, I would say, uh, an internal coup against their their previous leader, Pedro, Pedro, Pedro Sanchez, mm. uh, who well eventually emerged once uh, who uh, was, who was actually able to win back his position as the general secretary of mm. PSOE in uh, May of this year. Uh, but what uh, sort of to su- to su- to summarize what that signified was that um, was Pedro Sanchez very much ran on sort of this on this platform of um, of sort of this sort of almost you could you could say sort of um, perhaps even borrowing from Jeremy Corbyn himself sort of on this platform of actually of mobilizing the militants within the uh, within the socialist party of sort of trying to bring the PSOE back to the trying to bring PSOE back to what to very much what it used to, what it used to be once in you know back in the uh, back in the old old days uh, so, so to speak so back back to being back to the it's anti frankist uh, past uh, as well as as well as running on the platform of uh, eventually eventually having a coalition government together with Podemos which he, which he, which he previously uh, very much rejected and of um, I'm actually presenting a proper left-wing alternative to uh, uh, to the popular party, mm. and uh, in Spain, so this creates a bit of a, both challenge and and opportunities for the for the left in Spain. So, but uh, particularly for Podemos, because mm. now you because now because now you now you kind of kind of faced with this choice of um, uh, the left-wing the, le- the left-wing coalition of Podemos and, and United Left. Uh, or um, the Spanish Socialist Workers Party, which, despite you know, despite electing a leader who ran on a more, much more left-wing platform than he did uh, previously, is unfortunately still, still in many, um, in many ways, part of the same of the same uh, uh, cast of uh, of the of the of the ruling class uh, mm-hmm. in, in so, Spain. So, just tell me a bit about the. This socialist workers party is that the correct name or what's it? Spanish Spanish socialist workers party, the PSOE. Yep, yeah. um, Spanish um, socialist workers party. Would the Spanish um, socialist workers party be part of? You know, basically, we've seen this kind of decline of social democracy, <coughs> and yes. um, would they be in the same category as what's that party called? PASOK? PASOK, Yeah, yeah. PASOC. Would they be in that kind of same category of or same legacy within that strand? I think. I think. Um uh, the case of PSOE is actually—I would actually say—it is quite different to what's happened to the most, to the majority of the other social democratic parties in uh, throughout Europe. Uh, since, because um, uh, as, as we've seen what happened to the social democratic parties in countries like Greece with with PASOK, which compl- which almost com- which which was almost completely demolished and dis- and destroyed after uh, you know after their coalition with the. Um, uh, the coalition with the right-wing conservative party and the massive austerity they implemented—it's, it, you know, what, what we saw in France, what happened to the Socialist Party uh, following the elections uh, uh, this year. But the case of PSOE is different because, um, uh, well, uh, because they were—I mean, uh, they were in government when the financial crisis first hit, and they did implement austerity, which, but that only lasted until about 2011. So. Um, so the image of of Pessoa was never really that was never, was never really tarnished as much uh, as, uh, as the rest uh, the majority of the other social democratic parties throughout Europe. So they were able to main, mostly maintain 
their base of support, their internal structures, and uh, sort of some sense of uh, ideology within uh, within them. So I would say a better better a better better comparison would actually be the Labour Party mm. uh, in in the UK. Mm. Yes. Um. So I would, and at the moment, and the the but but seeing what is happening right now within the within the Pesoi is uh, is also quite, is also sort of quite interesting to, uh, as to sort of as to kind of the direction uh, that it would take because um, sort of as I mentioned as I mentioned before uh, the current general secretary Pedro Pedro Sanchez even though he was even though when he was first elected previously a couple a couple of years back he was. A couple of years back, he was supported by all the major sort of um, by all the major you know in, in Spain they call them barons sort of the sort of the main the main sort of uh, members of the ruling class of main, main members of the of the ruling class uh, of Spain um, and sort of on all on the majority of the right wing uh, of, of the party. But this time, this time he campaigned almost exclusively with with the support of the rank and file members of the militancy, and on and very much, uh, I would say, and as I mentioned before, borrowing more from uh, seeing what Corbynism, seeing what Jeremy Corbyn was able to achieve to the to the in the UK, hmm. and implementing that. Yeah. In, but in Spain. but I suppose a big difference with Spain because you mentioned that you know there's existence of this um, coalition between. Um, the United Left and Podemos. Um, there's a it's a much different situation in mm. we have a much different situation in Spain where it seems that third parties actually have some kind of viability, whereas in in Britain mm. you have the first past the so system and Certainly. there's almost no chance or very little chance unless yes. Um, although I see in the case of the United States, I have this strong feeling that the two major parties are going to collapse. That's probably going to lead lay the basis for a third party to seize power. That's my mm. Prophecy about American politics, I mean, but the, well, I say this also in the case of Spain. It actually, it actually creates a, a real challenge on the left as to which, which, which you know. Now, now that now that the PSOE has, the, you know, now that the PSOE does not have a right wing leader, let's just put it like that, yeah. does not have a right wing leader. Um, you know, which party actually has the hegemony of mm-hmm. the left? Which one? Uh, which which party actually truly represents the the the, uh, the left in Spain? And I believe this will actually be the main challenge for for Podemos yeah. in this coming uh, in, in the coming months and years. Um, I guess a quick other question is, what is kind of like um, because I know Spain has a really amazing kind of there's a, a, lo- a lot of struggle happening in terms of social movements. What are yes. kind of like the significant social movements um, mm-hmm. in Spain? Because uh, I remember a friend of mine he went to Spain recently and he actually went to a rally. Um, I think this was in. Grandu, what's the place that starts with G in Spain? Granada. Granada. Um, he went to a rally there that had over 30,000 people um, and it was against um, the closing down of a hospital. And that's something, yes. you know, we would probably never, we only really see rallies of that size in relation to very broad, mm, right, mm. Um, broad issues. Yes. Um, so that, so kind of like, you know, what is kind of like the social movements um, going in, you know, um, that are kind of big ones that are happening in Spain at this point. Um, well, actually, well, uh, well, on on that point, I think it was it's actually quite important to mention that uh, right now, right now, I would, I would actually say the biggest social movement is the one that is taking place in Catalonia 
That's the social movement. Uh, for in, uh, that is the social movement for independence mm. of the uh, of Catalonia from uh, from Spain. I would. Um, mm. I think we'll have to dedicate a whole separate show to the question of uh, Catalan independence and the reasons behind it. Uh, but uh, in the recent um, in, in the recent months, um, in the recent months, what I would say we've seen is sort of this massive sort of standoff this, and this very aggressive standoff between uh, between the Spanish government's central government in Madrid and the regional government in in Catalonia in uh, in Barcelona. Um, Recently, I uh, while I was in Spain, I conducted an interview with uh, uh, with one of the national spokespeople for uh, one of the more left wing and more, more sort of anti capitalist and pro independence movements called uh, the Popular Unity Candidacy or the Coup, in uh, as they call themselves in in, in Catalan. Uh, who uh, one of their spokesperson, uh, one of their spokesperson uh, spokespeople, sorry, uh, Kim Arafat, basically ex- uh, ex- explained to us that. Um, um uh, within within uh the refer- the referendum the sort of the referendum for the uh, for the independence of catalonia is coming up on october the, on october the 1st however however according to the according to the spanish constitution of uh, the of 19, of 1978 um uh Regions, the different regions of Spain, including Catalonia, actually have no rights. Actually, are not able to break off and form their own states, mm. uh, which has been sort of the main, uh, which has kind of been the main sort of obstacle, been perceived as main obstacle towards uh, Catalan independence. Uh, but we've seen the Spanish state and the Spanish central government use and abuse the constitution for the last uh, for, for almost uh, forty years uh, within, uh, within Spain. While in while in Catalonia, we, what we've seen is that this uh, this mass this mass movement of uh, which I would, which I would say actually in many ways combined, you know, uh, uh, combined left wing organizations and, and struggles like the like, like the popular like the popular unity candidacy, like the um, uh, like the Republican left of 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 Catalonia, which is another left wing pro independence uh, Catalan party, like numerous other uh, uh, organizations, but also but together with the with 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 the Catalan bourgeoisie, and to, and to, and turning this into a sort of a, a sort a sort of a um, uh, this, this very this very diverse. Uh, uh, Lump, this very obviously diverse political, uh, this very diverse uh, political uh, coalition which sees the independence of Catalonia and the emergence of, Ca- of a Catalan of a Catalan Republic as the way of um, ending austerity and ending neo and ending sort of neoliberal policies within Catalonia for the left, but also as a way of, pres- of as a way of preserving the Catalan. Uh, you know the the wealth and the capital of uh, of of Catalonia and with uh you know with, within Catalonia which serves which i would say serves more the right wing uh, sections of the of the independence movement um so uh, the election the referendum as i mentioned before referendum, referendum uh, is coming up on october the 1st and um we've seen 
we are very we are very likely to see some of the biggest demonstrations in the streets being for, being uh organized in Barcelona in in Girona in other major cities and towns and all all, all across Catalonia in uh, in support of that vote uh but what's uh, but I, I believe what what would be curious to see is what would actually happen afterwards mm. I, I guess we um we'll have to pause there we can actually we'll actually probably have some time to do Estás sintonizando 3CR 8377 Okay, um, so we were just talking about Spanish politics um, with Dennis, um, because, um, but we still actually have, there's still quite a lot to discuss, but for now we're going to take a bit of a break because right now we're going into the activist calendar. Um, so um, in terms of events that are coming up, um, tomorrow we actually have a number of things coming up. Um, so we have a public meeting on climate change activism, which is going to be a free event. Um, it's part of the Melbourne Writers Festival, uh, and it's sort of a, you know just a bit of a panel discussion on climate change activism and you know how we can, um, how we can you know fight for a better world. Um, that's going to be, as I said, a free event. It's at eleven thirty at the Acme at the Cube in Federation Square, the city. Um, to find out more information, go to the Melbourne Writers Festival website. Just search that in Google. Um, now there'll be also an equal love rally and mass illegal wedding um, happening at one pm at the State Library. Um, mass illegal wedding. Yeah. That's, that's that's probably the best way to advertise that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I remember when I was handing out some leaflets, some people were quite high schoolers were quite excited. Oh, a mass illegal wedding! I have to. I definitely have to go to this. So yeah, it's organised by Equal Love, and as we were discussing before, I think it's really important that as many people as possible, you know, tell your yes. friends um, who support marriage equality, um, tell your family, um, and if you're in high school, you know, go to get your fellow classmates involved, university students, get your fellow classmates, because um, I think it's going to be very important that we get as big a mobilisation as possible. Um, so that's happening at 1pm at the State Library. Um, at the same time, I might have to also advertise there's actually another protest happening sort of around the same time. There's going to be a protest, Fair Go for Migrants, um, against Dutton's Citizenship Bill. Um, that's happening at 2pm at the Parliament House. So you could probably go switch between both rallies if you wish. Um um, and then on Sunday, um, there's going to be a March to Save Lives, rallying for a safe ejecting room, and that's starting at 10.30am at Jonas Street in Richmond. Um, that's happening this Sunday, August 27th. Um, Dennis, you want to read a quick announcement? Certainly, certainly. And, um, uh, well, actually, a few, quite a few public meetings are also taking place uh, on Sunday. Uh, there's, we are, there's going to be uh, having 
the public public meeting of keeping uh, Faulkner safe by the community action. So there'll be um, uh, this will be uh, this will be happening happening over in uh, Moreland. There'll be MC Tash uh, Tash Walk uh, from Tox- Toxic Free Faulkner and Bronya Lipsky from the Environmental Justice uh, Australia and Roma Moby, the longtime Faulkner resident, uh, as well as as well as Sally uh, Beatty. Um, uh, so if there's been uh, so there's been some concern about the Moreland Council of considering the developing a um, uh, sort of de- developing ex snowfarm chemical production uh, site in over on uh, over, over on Faulkner. So this is a forum to discuss and uh, you know dis- dis- discuss and see how they can you know oppose any more sort of environmental uh, envir- environmentally. Uh, Destructive policies in local uh, over, over over in over in North Melbourne. There will also be um, uh, the, uh, the Australia Palestine Advocacy Network will be having their annual dinner um, and the major fundraiser at six thirty p.m. Uh, once again on the on the Sunday. Just to uh, as a great as a, you know as, a, as an opportunity to share an evening with others to care deeply about Palestine. This will be at six thirty p.m. Aurora Receptions, 149 Donald Street, Brunswick East. Um, there will also be a, a couple of more meetings that will be taking place. Will be uh, uh, one is a protest and persist, how to change the world, which will be organized at the ACMI, the Cube, as Federation Square, um, as, as a sort of a, a forum and a meeting as to uh, conducted by, by by activists who outline sort of tangible steps you can take to advance social justice causes you care about and how to differentiate between volunteer organizations that are truly making a difference and the ones exploiting unpaid labor. That's a very important distinction to make indeed. Uh, also, there will be um, uh, an, a public meeting with Angie Thomas, uh, so giving a voice to young black Americans and chronicling the experiences of uh, racism. Uh, this will be, and she'll be speaking over in uh, Deacon, Deacon Edge on Federation Square at 4 p.m. Uh, and, and just uh, briefly for, for next week, um, on Thursday, there'll be a public meeting of uh, supporting press freedom in Timor Leste. This will be happening at, at Trades Hall at 6.30 p.m. at 54 Victoria Street. And this will be hosted by the um, Media, and Entertainment, uh, Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, as well as AFIDA. Um, yeah. Okay, so the next announcement um, is on Friday, um, September the 1st. There'll be, a, um, there'll be a film screening presented by Red Cinema of um, the film No!, um, basically, it's kind of been organised in light of this plebiscite. Um, many uh, no work to give you a bit of historical context. No is basically a film based on um, basically a, there was a referendum or plebiscite to on whether um, in Chile on whether to you know vote and whether they would accept um, let Pinochet um, you know mm. terrible dictator serve for another term. As is that I'm. I'm Understand correct? That was the Bas- uh, so basically the um, the plebiscite of the, of the referendum in in Chile was meant to um, it it basically asked the question whether whether Pinochet 
should be allowed to serve another eight years as 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 a as a, as a dictator. Yeah, basically. that's that's eight years. That's absolutely eight years. insane. Um, so extra that, that, eight years. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be on Friday, the first of September at six thirty p.m. with dinner from six p.m. at the Resistance Center, level five or four oh seven Swanson Street. Um, on also happening on Friday, there's going to be a number of interesting public meetings. Um, there's going to be something on Hindu nationalism in India. Um, that is going to be at the Acme Cinema One um, at the Fairtrade Square, and it's also two p.m. and it's part of the Melbourne Writers Festival. Um, so basically, you'll have to check go on the Melbourne Writers Festival website to book tickets. Um, and then there'll be another public meeting um, hosted by Robert Fisk, um, and I kind of I'm quite a big follower of Robert Fisk. I think he is one of the the best commentators on affairs in the Middle East. Um, I mean, he's not wholly radical, but he you know he's close to having pretty you know good, very very strong politics. I mean, he's very strong on Palestine, very strong on Syria. Um, and so he's going to be he's going to be speaking on I think two sessions in the Melbourne Writers Festival. Um, so his first session is a public meeting on the collapse of American power in the Middle East, and that's going to be at four pm at the Acme Cinema One. Um, so yeah, just search the Melbourne Writers Festival. Um, and now the last thing I'll quickly announce is there'll be uh, a fundraiser um, on well. I'm not going to read out the title because I think it's against free sales broadcast the own, but it's basically about stop um, about the war on drugs, harm reduction saves lives, um, and it's going to be a bit of a fundraiser, you know, to support that campaign, and that's going to be happening on Thursday, September the seventh, um, at the Gasso Media Meter Hotel, which is at you know a walking distance from this station actually, four o four eight four Smith Street in Collingwood. Um, and then on Saturday, September the 9th, it's Sunday, the September 10th, there'll be the IPAN National Conference um, happening at the MUA 46 Island Street in North Melbourne. So, yep, um, I'm just going to play, we'll play another quick announcement and then we'll have a continued discussion with Dennis about, you know, politics in Spain. We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well, then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that, that nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. Okay, we're back on Green Left Weekly Radio with Jacob and Dennis. Um, so previously we were having, um, maybe for the listeners that are just tuning in, we were previously having, because um, Dennis here um, has spent you know quite a significant amount of time before he came back to Australia, and he's going to be leaving again in September, um, but 
Um, he spent a significant amount of time in Europe, especially in Spain. Um, so he has a really good feel for you know what's happening politically in Spain. So we're continuing discussion that started at 7.35 a.m. because there's still so much to discuss about politics in Spain. So, Dennis, oh, Dennis. Uh, I think one of the things that we actually forgot to mention, this, I think this really needs to be mentioned and talked about, is you know the horrific terrorist attack that we actually witnessed uh, happening in Barcelona just a uh, lot. Uh, just this uh, last week, where uh, fourteen fourteen people and over one hundred thirty well, fourteen people were killed and over a hundred were in, were injured when uh, when a when a van came when a, when when um, uh, a van basically plowed through the through the crowds in uh, Las uh, Las Ramblas, which is the main sort of shopping area in Bas- in Barcelona. Um, there have been a lot of no. There's, there's been the, there was there was quite a there was kind of this massive outpouring of solidarity afterwards, uh, all, all throughout Barcelona, all throughout uh, Catalonia, and uh, quite a bit and quite a lot of you know fraternal uh, quite a, quite a lot of support being given to the people of Barcelona by other uh, big cities and, and communities in Spain, especially especially from uh, from Madrid, the, so the other Podemos government. Um, uh, the other Podemos government municipality uh, in Spain, as well as from um, from other um, groups and organizations throughout the, throughout the country, uh, but of course there was, uh, there was there was also sort of this uh, significant uh, the significant rise in uh, the significant rise of Islamophobia and hate crimes against the Muslim community in Spain, unfortunately, and you know very much very similar to what we what we've seen in the United States and in the. In the UK, with you know, with, with uh, you know, mosques being vandalized and graffiti, graffiti on the on the streets, um, you know, uh, telling Muslims to kill themselves, you know, all this, all this other horrific uh, stuff. Uh, but at the same time, this um, you know, this occurrence of a, um, you know, this was perceived as being a, being a terrorist attack organized organized by ISIS, and. Um, this uh, this raised uh, a number of different a number of interesting um, a number of interesting uh, uh, proposals as to the best way to deal with terrorism not just in Spain but also throughout the world um, and some of these proposals have actually been coming from some of the proposals which have been coming from uh, the left the left wing in Spain particularly particularly Podemos have actually been focused on uh, on um, isolating and isolating and ending any kind of trade particularly in arms with the biggest sponsors of terrorism in the world that's Saudi Arabia Qatar and other and other Gulf states um, and po- and also them pointing out that you know Spain is actually cu- is currently one of the biggest exports of military uh, military gear and arms uh, to, uh, to to Saudi Ara- to Saudi Arabia and uh, there's, a, there's absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind that, uh, that Saudi Arabia, in turn, is one of the biggest sponsors of ISIS and mm. uh, Syria and Syria in Iraq. So this, um, so 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 Podemos has kind of been has also been uh, trying to uh, this is uh, the, the policy of Podemos with regard with regards to uh, uh, with regards to this has also been has also been quite similar to the policies of Jeremy Corbyn 
uh, in the UK and the way, and what you know his proposals about you know what what was the best way to fight, you know fighting ISIS and what was the best way of finding of fighting the most fundamentalist elements in um, fun, fun, most uh, fundamental organized elements in um, among the Islamists, it's actually yes the isolating and uh, completely isolating, boycotting, and you know, uh, isolating and boycotting uh, Saudi Arabia and sort of singling out the main sponsors of ter- of terrorism. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to uh, uh, sort of uh, I, w- I wanted to really finish off uh, my talk about about Spain uh, by also. By also focusing about, also focusing on uh, the other important region uh, within Spain, uh, which itself has been, uh, which itself has actually been uh, suffered for a long time from both uh, state ter- state terror repression and its own terrorist groups, and that's the Basque Country. Um, during my time as as the correspondent for the for the green left so weekly there i got a chance to sit down and talk with um, arnaldo Otegi, as i mentioned previously he is he's considered to be one of the most uh, prominent figures on the within the basque independence movement he is the leader of euskal uh, herria bildu which in basque which uh, translating from basque means uh, basque country unite there's a coalition of all the left-wing pro-independence movements uh, within the within the Basque uh, country region. He was, he was also previously a, polit- a political prisoner of of the Spanish state for for more than uh, for just under seven years, uh, where he where he endured, you know, where he, where he endured interrogation and torture at the hands of the uh, Spanish Spanish civil guard, um, as well as as well as previously. Uh, uh, quite a long time ago, being being a member of the uh, now demobilized Yuskarita Askarasuna, which or ETA for short, which was previously an armed group, an armed uh, pro-independence uh, bus group, which conducted, uh, which uh, despite uh, you know being one of the being one of the most active. Um, and militant anti-Francoist groups back in the sixties and seventies. Um, sort of after the after the fall, after the uh, after, after the end of uh, Francoism, it continued it continued on with uh, with its, with its armed uh, strategy and conducted a number of terrorist attacks on, mm. all throughout Spain. Although it finally, although finally uh, last year, sorry, finally this year in April, it announced its. Its final disarm, disarmament and uh, demobilization, and the formal, uh, the final end to the armed struggle uh, in the Basque Country. Um, and it was interesting to compare and contrast um, uh, the way the way in which the, the independence movement has taken place in the Basque Country compared to uh, uh, to Catalonia, as in the case of, of the Basque Country, the main protagonists. Of 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 uh, of you know full depend- independence from the Spanish state have been almost exclusively uh, coming from the left. So um, the uh, the Bildu as uh, the build the Bildu coalition, whose leader is Izotegi, have been the main sort of driving political force uh, behind that, uh, and their their aim their aim is is basically to achieve. 
uh, basically to hold a an independence referendum uh, by um, by twenty by twenty twenty six. So they they are working on quite a, a long uh, timeline, and this involves not only the independence for the Basque autonomous region, which is in Spain, but also independent but uh, independence for the whole of whole of the Basque country, which is, which is considered to be the Basque autonomous region, uh, the region of Navarra, which is uh, that's uh, right next to it, and also the French the French Basque country uh, across the border. Because as uh, as we know, as with the case of Catalonia, uh, the Basque country does not simply exist in Spain, but also a part of it is uh, inside uh, France. Mm. So yeah. um, that's a call, kind of quite interesting. What um, now that you is there anything else you want to kind of comment on Spanish politics, or do you want to go talk about you know generally Europe in general? I wonder. Well. Um, uh, I think, I think, I think, as I said, as I said previously, you, you know, uh, I would, I would love to talk, talk uh, quite a bit more about uh, what, what has been happening with inside the Basque uh, country, especially, mm. um, you know, with a whole number of issues such as the, uh, there's been an ongoing mass movement for the return of the bus of the former ETA prisoners, mm. which have been dispersed throughout yeah. Spain and throughout France. Uh, can you just yeah. tell me a bit geographically where Basque country actually is? Yes. Like? Yes. Uh, yes. Sorry. Sorry. I, should, I probably should have done it uh, previously. So, uh, th- uh, so uh, the Basque Country is located on. Uh, so, thinking of Spain, the Basque Country is located on sort of the north, um, uh, northwest side of the country, bordering the Pyrenees uh, uh, Mountains, right there, right, right on the border with uh, uh, with France. Mm. Um, and it is also uh, well. At the same time, it's also it's also the most highly developed, the most industrialized region of uh, of of Spain mm. uh, as well. And the level of social movements and the level of political struggle within within the Basque country has also been quite a bit of an anomaly because it has traditionally been as one of the highest of um, you know all throughout Spain. Mm. Uh, this has been you know has been. Uh, the case for the workers and trade unions uh, movement there, the, the movements against uh, against uh, nuclear power, and mm. for the um, uh, the movements, as I said before, for the return of uh, ETA prisoners back uh, back to the Basque uh, back to the Basque country, and of course the, the overall the overall movements movement for the independence um, of the of the Basque nation, because we also have to we, we of course need need to mention that. Um, the Basque identity, Basque culture, language actually have absolutely nothing to do with with Spain. It is a completely separate uh, entity in mm-hmm. all uh, on all on all accounts. The Basque Basque language has absolutely nothing in common with Spanish. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's it's considered uh, quite a bit uh, quite a, one of the most uh, uh, long one of the longest sort of. Existing mysteries in ling- in in linguistics throughout, throughout the world because the Basque country language is not an Indo-European language. Mm. So, so what it's like? It this this actually raises another interesting question, just for new um, listeners. Um, is what is sort of the heritage of the Basque people like? Is are they indigenous to the land or of mm. Spain and so on? What what what's sort of the the context there? From um, from 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 what I studied and from what uh, from what I understand, um, uh, the Basque. Uh, the Basque p- people actually have more in common with the uh, 
uh, their, their story is sort of similar to the story of some of the uh, some of the other uh, previously nomadic uh, peoples of Europe, such as uh, the, the the Finns and the Hun- and and the, and the Hungarians. In that um, uh, they um, uh, since their settlement since their s- settlement within northern region within the northern region of of, of Spain I th- in uh, I think I think about at least two two or three thousand years B, uh, in BC they've kind of they were able to remain they were, I would say they were actually able to remain within that geographical space without without ever um, without ever actually lo- losing their cultural identity and heritage as I said similar to the uh, si- similar to the Magyar and uh, pe- people in, in Hungary and the Suomi and the, and the, the Finnish people uh, throughout uh, the Baltics and uh, in Finland, so it's a very curious. It's it's a very curious uh, case of the uh, of the Basque Country, sort of this, uh, yes, this uh, re- region whose people consider themselves don't just consider themselves indigenous to the land, but also consider themselves to be, but but also hold such a unique identity and such mm. a sort of unique culture yeah. and so, linguistics to so, the rest so of what, Spain. So what is their um? Are they considered part of Spain or separate, or are they independent? What is the oh, we, well, well, uh, Basque country. Uh, say uh, once again, what I mentioned previously is that uh, there's uh, the Basque country overall, and then there's the Basque Ant- Ant- autonomous region. So the Basque country, Basque country invo- uh, is, consists of uh, three major regions, mm. which is the Basque autonomous community, uh, then. Uh, the region of Navarra, which is which border, which is just to the uh, east of it, and the French uh, Basque Country, which it itself is kind of two different departments in France. Um, so within Spain, the Basque Autonomous Community um, is uh, it, it it holds quite a high degree of of well, it has I mean it holds a degree of sovereignty. So unlike all the other regions in Spain, you know the Basque autonomous community actually retains its taxes and is able to, you know, reinvest it into public spending and investment and so on and so forth. Um, but in many other aspects, uh, in many other aspects, uh, the, Bas- the Basque region or the Basque country is still very much uh, considered to be considered to form a part of Spain. And we also have to remember that the Basque country and the Basque people endured, uh, you know, massive repre- repression under Franco, who uh, basically prohibited uh, the usage the usage of the Basque language, you know, the, cel- the, the celebration of the, the cultural, different Basque cultural celebrations and um, um, and, and, and basically completely, basically you know, it, it, it utilized you know mass mass state mass state terror against all forms of uh, Basque independence movement. Yeah. All right, so we're getting actually to um, the end of our program now. Yes. Um, do you have any kind of final comments to sort of almost summarize everything in one minute? Oh, I would say that um, uh, some of the high, some I guess some of the biggest things to watch out for and. In Spain and throughout Europe, sort of for this year and, and uh, throughout the next, uh, one thing I didn't, and one of the things I didn't get to talk about is the um, is the is the way in which uh, the left throughout Spain, throughout Europe, have actually been trying to build bases in build a basis and build opposition to the growing threat of the far right. 
throughout uh, throughout Europe. I think it's one of the things we didn't uh, mention. Um, the uh, uh, particularly, this particularly in the case of uh, Podemos, one of the other one of the other uh, interviews which I could which I conducted while I was there was with uh, Miguel Urban, who is the leader of the Podemos group within the European Parliament. Podemos. Okay, so we've got to end you there. Right, ah. so you can check that out on. Oh, you can check that out on. Or oh, have to end Dennis there. Yes. Or sh- you can check what he check just out, mentioned yeah. on Green Left Weekly. Yeah, yeah. Miguel right. Urban, Green Left Weekly. Uh, right, so thank you very much, Dennis. Um, it looks like um, stay tuned for Beyond Zero Emissions. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show... And interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.